by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. In that book in your lap, it's called a Bible. Some of us still bring Bibles to church, even though we have it on the overhead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. says, together we, you are dismissed. <laughs> That's my message. Together we are his house. You know, this church... Incomplete when you miss a Sunday, when you miss a Wednesday service, when you miss the prayer service, there's a brick missing out of our house. Together we are his house, not by ourselves, but together, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. In other words, built on what they have written and established as the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus and him crucified. There's no other foundation on which we can stand. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We, say we, are carefully joined together, say together, in him. Praise God, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. There's power in the we. And today's message, if you're following along in your sheets and you want to fill out that first blank, that first question, today's message is entitled, a we mentality. W-E, not W-I-I. We're not talking about a gaming console. A we mentality as we continue our series 2017 on, on purpose. Should have called it be intentional because that's what everybody else is calling it. And that's, the, that's really where it came from. The, the two words the Lord gave me, be intentional. But I had to be cutesy and put something out of 2017 on purpose. But it is what it is. You know, I used to be Josh's football coach when he played 9- and 10-year-old football. Do y'all know that in DeSoto County, they take peewee football mighty serious? <laughs> I mean, they had a draft day where the coaches show up and we get our draft picks. They don't just assign you players. You have to fight for the players you wanted. My first-round draft pick, I got a good one. He's a little superstar, man. I, I, I knew that kid. I knew he was good, and I was so happy. And when we had that first day of practice, he came in, that hand the ball to him. He'd run over four people, juke about five others, and run to the touchdown every time. I was like, oh, we're going to win this year. And we was excited. Me and my whole coaching staff, all seven of us. Did I mention we take football mighty seriously in DeSoto County? But we were excited because we were going to win. We had a superstar, and then nobody going to stop him. And I'm pretty sure we was going to win a championship. And so excitement was building. When we had the second practice, guess what happened? He didn't show. His mama calls me about halfway through the practice and says, he said he don't want to play football this year. I started to send somebody over there to get him. but Tried to talk her out of it. Tried to say, come on, tell you. But, but, but no, nope, he didn't want to play I said, all right. So I went and told the coaching staff, and we wept for about 20 minutes and started working with what we had, you know. Well, we'll still have a good season, I guess, you know. And so we start putting the players together, and we start working, and we practice all season. The day, of the, the day before the first game, his mama calls me, a little superstar. He decided he wants to play after all. <laughs> well, clearly the kid just, just didn't want to practice. He just wanted to play the games. And so what do you think I said? I said, all right, bring him on. But, I'm, I, you know, he won't be able to play the first game or two. You know, we're, he'll, he'll have to be, you know, he'll have to sit on the bench because he missed all the practices. But did I tell you how serious we are about football? We wanted that kid. Okay. 
you know, scruples and morals and all those things aside, we wanted to win. All right, so we can let, we weren't stupid, we let the kid back on the team. And so the first game, guess who we're playing? Senatobia. Hernando has like four teams, they have to split up all their good kids and have the draft. Senatobia gets to put all their good kids on the same team, so they're always one of the best teams in the league. We let them in our league. And so they're always our arch rival. And uh, the superstar kid shows up, and we're excited, you know. And, uh, but we've got to put him on the bench. And so we play the first three quarters, and we kind of held our own for a little while, but towards the end of the third quarter, they start taking a big lead. They, they got about a couple touchdowns ahead of us. And I thought to myself, the kid's been over there. He's been rooting the team on. He's been, he's, he's been showing humility. He's not complaining that he's sitting on the bench. You know, I really should reward the kid. So I went to him and I said, hey, you've been doing good over here. Are you sorry about what you did? Okay, well, we're going to put you in the game. We put him in the game. They kicked off the ball to us. He took it to the house. <laughs> Ran it all the way back on the first play. Yes, you know. Then uh, they got the ball. We put him on defense. He helped stop them on defense. They didn't score for probably the first time in the game. And this is the fourth quarter, and the clock's ticking, you know. We're running out of time. We're still down. Next time, they didn't kick it to him. They were scared to kick it all the way back, so they kind of squib-kicked it. And we got the ball on, like, the 50-yard line to start off. Didn't matter. Down said Hut, handed the boy the ball, took it to the house. <laughs> we're almost there, but time is running out. And uh, they're marching down the field. We're trying to stop them. They fumble. And we get the ball back with a little bit, like, 20 seconds left on the clock. And we're down by, like, four points. Hallelujah. What do you think I did? Now, see, back then, they would let the coach in the, in the huddle. So I'm in the huddle, and I get the guys huddled up, and I said, all right, little superstar, we're handing it to you up the middle. Take it to the house. Down said, Hut, they handed the, boy, the ball. He runs up the middle. Well, they done kind of got used to that play. And that, about five of them gang tackled him and finally wretch him down, you know. Time's running out. Time out. We're last time out, you know. So I get back to the huddle. I say, all right, we're going to have to misdirect them. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, quarterback and the running backs, y'all go like a sweep to the right, and I want you, superstar, to line up like a, on the right wing, and as we go right, you come back left, and he's going to hand you the ball, and you go around to the left on a naked bootleg. Ready? Break. Down said Hut. He acts like we're running. All the little nine-year-olds, they go where the ball is going. They're all going this way, and here comes the superstar. He hands it to them, and we all run. And they, he runs it, takes it to the house, baby. Woo! We won, right? No. I look up, and there's a yellow flag on the field. Some little kid on our team held somebody, had nothing to do with the play. Did I tell you we take football kind of serious in Soto County? I didn't kick him off the team, but I thought about it. But they called it back. Ten seconds left in the game. We're at the 50-yard line down by four. Then guess what happens? Y'all have learned me well. I'll tell you later, and it's going to be good. God desires for us to possess a we mentality. Do you believe that? Even in the preamble of the U.S. Constitution, it says, we the people. That's how it starts. We the people. Do you believe that this nation is a godly nation? It says we're one nation under God. I believe we came over here for religious freedom to be able to worship the Lord without hindrance. I believe our laws were based on the Ten Commandments. I believe strongly that God is in this nation. And he's leading this nation. And he started out, I believe he, gave, he inspired the Constitution is how much I believe it. And he starts off, we the people, amen? And I believe that God, you know, some things we just take for granted. We, we take for granted relationships or whatever and the desire to want to be liked and want to like somebody and to spend your life with somebody. But I believe God created the we concept about wanting to be together, about feeling a need to be part of something. And how do I know? Because it's, it's in his playbook. It's in his team's playbook. All through this. It's clear that God is a God that loves 
relationships. Why not? God himself is a we. Come on in. <laughs> what do I mean by God is a we? It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, isn't he? He's a we all by himself. <laughs> Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, God said, let us make man. Is he talking about the angels? No, the angels don't have any creative power. Who's going to make them? Who's going to make the people? God. Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. See, God is a we. Then he made us, what, body, soul, and spirit, made us triune beings similar to himself. But in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. God does not like people to be alone. It's unacceptable in God's eyes for anybody to be lonely. I believe that's why he created the we. When you see somebody that's all alone, don't have anybody to talk to, then it's up to us to befriend that person. Well, they're mean. They're mean because they have no human interaction. They don't know how to treat other people. Be the bigger person if you were here Wednesday night. That was the title of the message. Well, actually, it was something else, but that was the theme of the message. i got to start saying what I mean. <laughs> Stop making up these titles. <laughs> then he said, I will make a helper who is just right for him after he made Adam. Why? Because those guys need help. <laughs> and the women said, amen. <laughs> Why? Because we're a bunch of droolers. preaching. I mean, we're born these helpless little creatures drooling all over ourselves. We need our mommies. And then as we get older, we start drooling all over ourselves again. We, we start out drooling, we end up drooling all in between. We're drooling over things we can't have. Men are a bunch of little droolers and they need help. But yet somehow, the little droolers that we are, we still think it's okay to have some kind of human pride and we say, I got this, I got this, I can do it by myself. That's our attitude, isn't it? I don't need no help, us men. We're just naturally little selfish droolers. It's not in the Bible, but I believe it's, it's implied. James 3.16 says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder an evil of every kind. Thus my life before I gave it to Jesus and stopped drooling on myself. Disorder, chaos, evil of every kind. It was nothing off limits for me before I gave my heart to Jesus. And you know it was that way with you too. <laughs> we like to th conveniently forget who we were before we came to Christ. Like we've always been this wonderful and our halo's never been crooked, you know. But most of us were a complete mess before we finally came to the end of ourselves and gave our hearts to Jesus and realized we can do nothing without. How much can we do without him? Nothing. Oh, you built a house. Oh, you had a career or whatever. How's that going to get into eternity with you? Nothing. You can do nothing without him. You can do nothing. And without other people, guess what? It don't mean nothing. I see my mom here, you know. When I was growing up, my mom and my brother and me, if I did something, you know, my band played a gig or I wrote a new song, I had to go tell mom and Heath. It just almost like it didn't matter unless I got to tell them. You know? We is important. Thank you, mama. My mama raised me good. God's plans require faith, right? And how does faith work? By love. And what does love require? A we. A commitment to someone else. You can't love by itself. If you just 
That's selfish. That's not real love. You, love requires somebody to love. Love requires a we. So, my advice is to downplay the me. To emphasize the we. Grow some godly humility and work it into your family. Let's talk about family for a minute. Are y'all ready? Got your seatbelts on? Got your teeth buckled in? Your hair zipped up? You know, whatever you're doing. I don't know what y'all are doing. The family. Family, I wrote, is where we should get our first taste of belonging, of acceptance, of unconditional love. See, the family structure that God gave us, you're supposed to grow up. You're supposed to know these things. You're spo- there's supposed to be a we to help you be secure in the me. How sad is it when that's not the case? When the family structure that we see today is deteriorating. I went to Popeye's with Cedric the other day, and there was a, a mama in there with a little bitty boy. I guess he was just old enough to talk good. And uh, he was saying, Mama, I want to go to Daddy's house. And that was telling me there they must be divorced or never got married because Daddy got a separate house. And he kept saying, Mama, I want to go see Daddy. I want to go to Daddy's house. Finally, she said, Hush up, boy. Your Daddy don't want to see you. And it broke my heart. It, I, I love little children. And I think a lot of reasons why I love little children because I know what they're going through. I, I remember wanting to see my dad, and he was so far off. He didn't care about seeing me most of the time. It's heartbreaking. That's a missing link in the wholeness of a person. Amen? Then we see people acting like I did as a teenager, growing up with rebellion in their heart, not knowing who they're supposed to be, not having a man to tell them what a man is, women not having the security looking for love in all the wrong places because they don't know what a real man is like. We see juvenile delinquency. Kids getting into gangs. We see domestic violence, abuse, hopelessness, addiction. All these things are products of not having that love and acceptance growing up, not being secure in the love of Jesus particularly. And today we got people that, who claim to be smarter than God. Redefining marriage. Redefining the family structure for us. For us less brilliant people. Telling us how it ought to be now. How it, how it should be. Redefining what God said in the word. Now they've left us with this dysfunction in America that we're having to deal with. And all it's causing is pain and hurt. And I hate it. I wish everybody could have a mom and a dad. I wish everybody understood marriage was forever. I wish everybody understood it's between a man and a woman. I wish everybody understood what marriage is supposed to be. We think marriage is you're supposed to make me happy. Boy, if you're going into it like that, good luck. <laughs> let me, not, let me get, not get off my script. <laughs> but family dysfunction is nothing new. We can take some solace in that because it's been from the beginning of time. The first brothers, Cain and Abel, Cain killed his brother Abel, the first two. Apparently, he was not his brother's keeper. (laughs) Do you know how long Cain hated his brother? As long as he was able. (laughs) Somebody said it's time to go. We ain't through yet. (laughs) Dysfunction in the Bible. God doesn't hide it. You know what happened? Noah cursed one of his own children because he got drunk and passed out naked, and his son saw him. 
How is that your son's problem? <laughs> and Noah, he had to discipline the chickens on the ark. You know why? Using that foul language. <laughs> Van, you, you had a delayed response. It'd take you a minute. Okay. <laughs> Some bowel came up in his throat before he could laugh. <laughs> Sarah agrees to let her husband Abraham impregnate one of her servants. And there's no joke to that. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's what I say. Taking stupidity to an all new level. I got an idea. I don't know. It was just me. It just came to me just now. Why don't we go back to doing things God's way? To the best of my recollection, every time I ever have, it worked out good. Every time I think that I can get away with something, not so much. Every time I try to think that I can be the one who gets away with it, I realize that whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. And God's not mocked in this. He plays no favorites. So I think family should start with a ring. Not three rings in a circus, mind you. <laughs> a marriage ring, which is a symbol of a circle of unending love. A husband and a wife. And like it says in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. I bet every man in here knows the scripture says women submit to men, but did you know it says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ? That makes it a little bit different. Men. See, I didn't know these things growing up. I was the women, I was the one, I was the kid that women ran from. You know what I'm saying? Men loving their wives because women need love. Treating them like princesses. Pursuing them. Protecting them. You're supposed to be the knight in shining armor, guys. Not the one that the knight has to protect them from. You know, when I was growing up, I, I had, had, no, had no clue. You know, whatever they said in the locker room, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. And I would go try it, and then I thought I was supposed to go blab it to everybody in the locker room, whatever I was able to get away with. That's not right. Those little girls are God's daughters. We need to see each other as God's children, and we need to respect and love. Men need to protect, and you especially need to love your wife because women need love. That's what they crave. They need to know that they are beautiful, that they are lovely, that they are your sunshine. You know, I started to show a video. There was a video on Facebook I saw where it, this guy was, or this woman was telling women that they're beautiful. They would just be, they were interviewing, they didn't know what he, the, the interview was about, and, he, and she would say, you are so beautiful. And immediately, just a big smile would erupt on their face. And some of them, you could tell that they didn't believe it, but they were like, but anyway, it just made them feel. Guys, you know, that's a hint. <clears throat> they will be open to you much more than they are now if you let them know how beautiful they are. Women, respect your husbands. See, men crave respect. They operate. You see them at their job, they'll work 80 hours a week to prove to some guy that they don't even know that they're a good worker. Won't they? Because men crave respect. So respect your husbands. If you're talking down to your husband, you're stupid. You're not leading us right. You're doing this. You're no good. You are just ripping the man's heart out. And you're keeping him from being the man that you really want him to be. But if you will just respect the man, you will build him up. Just say a little something. I tell Angie all the time, everything I do, I do for you, baby. 
When I do something good, I run back to you and show you. I'm like a little puppy dog, ain't I? If you'll just stroke my head every now and then, man, I'll jump on a grenade for you. And you want to nag and belittle your husband? Come on. You are working against your own self. That man will die for you if you'll give him the respect that his heart craves. Pray for him. Maybe he is an idiot. Don't let him know it. If he's drooling on you, wipe it off. I don't know. Pray for him. Support him, even if he's making mistakes. Sometimes he's got to learn the hard way, but support him through the good. Didn't you say that in your marriage vows? Through the good times and the bad? Believe the best about him. And both marriage, both in the marriage, the man and the woman, need to understand that when you put these rings on, you became one flesh. It's no longer two. It's no longer your plans, her plans, my money, his money, one flesh. And when you think it's about what you can get out of the marriage, make me happy, you're sucking the life out of them, you're sucking the life out of yourself. When you've got your wife all anxious and worried that, that you're going to do something stupid, you are, are destroying your own self. Whatever you do to your wife, you do to yourself. You are one. When she's sick, that ought to be your main priority to be praying for her, taking her to the doctor, taking care of her, and vice versa. You are one. That's a hard concept for us to understand, but when we see ourselves as two different people, then we get in competition, we get all these, we, we feel like it doesn't matter, and we don't treat each other right. There's a... Uh, there's a guy that preached a message one time talking about a love bank. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, every word that you say into the relationship, every word that you speak is either making a deposit in the love bank or making a withdrawal. Every word. Every word. Remember that. Every action, too. Everything that you do is either adding to the love or is taken away. And, and you want your account full of love, don't you? Isn't that the kind of marriage you signed up for? Is your tone at home promoting the we? Or is it just about the me? I want you to begin to look at yourself this week. When you come home, boy, I had a bad week too, because usually the thing I'm preaching about is the thing I have to deal with. And I was just looking at myself, and it's like, go get me this, do this. And everything I was saying is about me. We've got to turn that around if we really want the marriage that, we, that we, our heart desires. It needs to be about the we. That's God's way. He, did, he designed the concept of we. That's why he gave her to you, men. That's why he gave him to you, ladies. Is your behavior causing you to grow closer or farther apart? And is, is someone in your family pulling more than their fair share of the weight, the workload? Why? You see, in certain households, you go and you see, boy, I'm preaching hard against myself, but somebody does all the cooking, all the dishes, all the clothes, while somebody else sits on the TV and watches the couch. Well, I said it wrong in the first place. I figured I'd finish it out. But you know what I'm saying? Somebody's pulling all the workload. Why is that? I've heard it said that when you get to heaven, that role might be reversed. <laughs> the, the greatest shall be last and the vice versa. <laughs> first Timothy 5.8 that says those who won't care for their relatives especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith such people 
are worse than unbelievers. We ought not have that kind of thing going on. We ought to all pull our weight in the family. Each person, you have individual roles. I'm not saying what she's good at, let her do. What you're good at, let her come together. Let's talk about these things, but pull your weight in the house. And as far as, you know, if you've got jobs or whatever, work it out. Look at your neighbor and say, work it out. Look at your spouse and say, work it out. And aren't we cha- uh, training our children to have a work ethic? See, society has changed a lot. In the old days, I hear people used to have chores. We used to teach them to do things. They used to be like an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior. They used to be a blessing from God, children. But now, are we training them? It's our fault if we let them just become selfish little spoiled brats and we don't teach them to help and and to understand that they play a vital role in the family. See, that's not helping them to see mama do it all and then when they get married, they're going to grow up and think their wife is going to do it all. It's perpetuating a cycle that we don't want them to do. We have to. I know that it's easier for you to take out the garbage yourself than to argue with them for five minutes, but stop arguing. Get the paddle out and settle the deal. (laughs) The rod will drive foolishness far from them. Guess what? Newsflash, you're the parent. You're not the friend. You're to train up a child in the way that they should go. So when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I know it's hard. You want to give them everything. You want to cave into their whims or whatever, but real love faces the issues. The hard, tough love. Sometimes it's the love that our children need. And children, are y'all obeying your parents if there's any in here? And adult children, we're all adult children. Are we honoring our parents? You see, there's a difference in obeying and honoring when you're little, you're to obey your parents. When you get older, especially when you get married, you're to leave your mother and father and cleave to your wife, and then you no longer have to obey your parents, but you are still to honor them. You can not obey very respectfully, but you have to be your own man, your own woman, after you leave your parents' house. But until then, if you're living under their roof, what does that mean? You're going to do what I say. Families should work together as a team. They should share life together, grow spiritually together. Are you teaching your children the Word of God? Do they see you in the home doing what you do at church? Man, what the signal does that tell our children? If uh, they see us one way at church and see us another way at home, and they don't see us pick up a Bible again until Sunday. We're supposed to share successes together. Like I said, couldn't wait to tell mom about my successes, you know, and we're supposed to be happy for one another, rejoice together, cry together, go through hard times together, but it's all together. If you care about somebody, you will be with them through what they're going through. Here's a question. It's on your sheet. How are you seeing your family? And here's your options. We or me? Think about it for a moment. You might have used to saw it as a we, but right now, man, my job's tough and this, 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 and I'm just coming home barking orders and this and this. Are you promoting the we? Are you promoting the me? We get tired and grumpy. This comes all me. But we need it to be a we. Now let's talk about the family of God. The family of God, which opposed to your Natural relations, the church. Do you know the word, uh, Greek word for church is ecclesia, I think it is, E-K-K, something or another? You know what it means? It doesn't mean brick and mortar, drywall and carpet. It means a coming together, a fellowship. It means a fellowship of people. I wrote this. Jesus died for me but he lives for we. 
Would you agree with that? Every one of us could say, Jesus died for me personally. He died for me, but he lives for we. Everything after your personal salvation becomes a we. Now, did I tell y'all that in DeSoto County we take football real serious? We had linemen coach at nine, nine or ten years old. I'm glad we did because I, I thought the linemen just blocked and, and the running backs tried to run through there somewhere. We had offensive coordinators. We had, I had like seven coaches on my nine and ten-year-old football team. But I didn't know. I had, I'm glad I brought in a lineman coach because he began to show me that the lineman, if it's coming through their hole, one of them's got to block this way, the other one's got to block that way because you're driving a wedge so that they can go through the hole. And somebody's got to block that linebacker. And then when you're on the goal line, your way you block changes. Linemen have responsibility. Them big old dummies. I thought it was just the running backs that had to know where to go. But when you call the play, the linemen have responsibility. And many times they lock arms together, and they are working together, double teaming and all this stuff. Did you know that? Romans 1.12 says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith but I also want to be encouraged by yours. When we get together, like Gary said at the men's meeting, man, at one point he started looking at people. He said, Tim, or I don't remember who he was talking to, he said, like, Tim, you encourage me, brother. I see your life. I see other guys messing up and, and saying it's okay, but you stood up for what's right. He went around the room, or it wasn't the room, it was the fire pointing out people, how they encourage him. We encourage one another when we get together. Isn't that right? I mean, you can say, if, if somebody that doesn't go to a church can say, man, I'm strong on my own. No, you're not. Nobody's encouraging you. Nobody's there for you when you fall. You're like a log in the fire when you're at the church and everything's burning bright, but you take that one log out and set it over to the side, it's going to die down and just be smoldering and go out. That's why the church, the family, the we of God is us together burning brightly. And even if it did burn for a moment, it's just a little fire. But we're supposed to be a city on a hill. We're supposed to burn together bright for God in the we and be there to support and encourage one another. Jesus had 12 apostles. Apostles. He had, he had the apostles and disciples. He had 12 Apostles. I get so excited I can't slow down. And, and, and he trained them. He worked extensively with them, but he had other disciples. There was one place where he sent out 72 disciples to go witness in, in pairs of two. I'm sure they had leadership over them or whatever. And then, then he had other disciples. There was 120 in the upper room, and we know he had probably thousands of disciples following him around. You read the book of Mark, man, it really gives a sense of how crowded it was around Jesus. And then the ones that weren't really following him or weren't disciples were there just to see the miracles or eat the loaves or whatever. There was a crowd. I mean, there was multitudes that followed around Jesus. And he knew how to deal with each one of them. And they were, that was part of the process. I want you to know here at the Passion Church, we have a leadership team. We have those who have honored God and, and felt the call, and have stepped up and been faithful over the years to become part of the inner circle. And then we have workers that you, just about everybody in here I know works in some form or fashion, whether it's at the door or the sound booth or with the children in some capacity or in some way, most everybody in here are good workers. And then we have, you could say there's some in the congregation that may be members but haven't really made the step to go into be a worker yet or something. And then you have the crowd. Every church is going to have, hopefully every church is going to have people who come in here who need to be saved, just checking it out, or you know, they need a new church, they hadn't decided yet, they're, check, they're just seeing what's going on in here. We need those. It's part of all part of God's plan, and it's we. And how we know that we're healthy, church, is there's movement within the we. Does that make sense? 
Those people that are just crowds checking it out, well, I think I'm going to become a member. They sign up. They come into the congregation. And there they're encouraged to put their gifts to use. Then they become a worker. Then, then when we got them as a worker, the leaders are supposed to be pouring into their, their people. And they're learning how to be leaders themselves, how to take over one day. And they're working their way up. And then one day they're leaders. And then they're leaders of leaders. And that's what we're doing in the men's and women's groups. We're putting captains over, or team leaders over the tens. And we're going to have captains over the fifties. And we're, we're going to be a, a, a leadership training facility right here at the Passion Church because we got purpose. And I'm going to tell you about that next week. Don't you miss next week. We're going to lay out our long-term vision right after I tell the leaders on next Saturday at the leadership meeting. I won't tell it in the same way, but I'll give you the gist of it. But I say all, but that's how you know we're healthy, is there's movement. There's movement from the crowd to the congregation, movement from the congregation to workers, workers to leaders. Leaders are the ones that go out who have the, the skill and the ability and the courage they have developed their life with Jesus to the point that they're not afraid to tell the gospel. And so they start the circle all over again because they're the ones bringing in the new crowd. It's a circle. And, there, and if everything keeps moving, you're in one of those boxes. Not, you're not in a box. You're, you're at one station. You're at one base. And you need to be thinking about how to, do I want to go to that next base? Because when there's growth, that's how we know we're successful, not how many people we count, but that, that we're healthy and growing. Does that make sense to everybody? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven 27 says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Everybody in here has a role to play, is a team member, a valued team member that needs to get in the game. I didn't realize it's so late. Passion church will be intentional in 2017 about fielding a winning team for Jesus. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Next question. How are you seeing your church family? Remember we asked, how are you seeing your family? Is it me or we? How are you seeing your church family? Is it we or them? Because I know a lot of people come in and they don't, they don't really feel a connection. They're still in the crowd. And that's Pastor Guy's church or whoever brought you. You know, that's, that's Daniel's church or whatever, whoever invited you. That's their church. You see it as so-and-so's church. But what I love to hear is that's my church. It's not any of one of us's church. It's the we. It's our church. God gives it to all of us. And I try to make that plain to each and every one of you. You have a purpose here. You have a call here. This is your church. You can make this what you want it to be. You may not have the say as upper leadership yet, but why can't you work your way up to that? It took me 20 years to get into upper leadership. And I could have left so many times. But I had a call here. This was family to me. And so you do the things you got to do to get to where you want to get to make the changes God needs you to ch make the changes. You know, there were things I didn't like about this church, but in the long run, I stayed faithful. I stayed faithful, and my voice began to carry some weight in the church, and then changes began to be, be made. And it wasn't, wasn't because I was anything. It was just all I have ever done is be faithful. And that's all God asks from any of us, to be faithful. Are you seeing this church as a we or a them? Well, we'll close with the football story. I don't want to leave you hanging. Sorry it's, we went a little long today, but I think it's been a good church. I, th <laughs> I think it's been a good day. Does anybody agree? Is the food still going to be there at the buffet when you leave? Yeah, they'll hold it. They'll keep it warm for you. Okay, so where did we leave it off? We had 10 seconds left. Got a flag on the play. 
way over on the other side had nothing to do with the place. <laughs> but I'm letting it go. Ten seconds left. What happened? Let me think. Okay, okay. Ten seconds left. I get in the huddle. I say, all right, superstar, do it again. Break. <laughs> Same play. Down, set, hut. Everybody goes right. He hands the ball to superstar. Stupor, stupor. Superstar comes to the left, but they had just got through seeing that same play, so they were a little smarter, and some of them came, came straight to where he was going and hit him. Boom, boom. He gets hit about two or three times. One of them's got his leg, and he's dragging him, and the whistle blows. The referee blows the whistle just as he yanks free and takes it to the house. And I'm like, What? Touchdown, it's a touchdown. Referee says, no, no, we caught, he was called down. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, he was never down. The crowd is going nuts. That's boo, boo, everybody's going nuts, and the referees are looking at each other. The whistle did blow, but everybody kept playing because they knew he wasn't down. So the referees huddled up. Okay, uh, it was an inadvertent whistle. Um, but, but what we're going to do is we're going to replay the down. Five seconds on the clock. Put five seconds on the clock. And we, I'm like, well, that's better than the game over. And so I get in the huddle, and I look at my superstar, and he's going, <laughs> the kid done run five or six touchdowns, seven of them called back. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this kid ain't going to make another touchdown. And I said, Here's what we're going to do. Same play, but this time, quarterback, you keep the ball. Fake it to him, and you run the touchdown. His eyes got big. <laughs> I can't do it, coach. Yes, you can. You can do it. You're the quarterback. You can do this. You sure? Yes, sir. You get that ball, and you run a touchdown. Okay, okay. Down, set, hut. He fakes it to the guy, and almost everybody of those 9- and 10-year-olds ran that way, thinking everybody in the stands, people all over DeSoto County, the radio, the news, the CNN, everybody knew that that kid was the superstar was getting the ball again. But he ran that way without the ball, and almost all of them followed him, except two smart kids that saw that the quarterback still had the ball. And he's running around the corner, and one of them grabs him by the shoulder pads, and he's trying to yank him down. By this time, the clock's done run out, you know. But he throws him off, and he heads for the corner, beats the other guy, and takes it to the house. Hallelujah, we won the football game, no time on the clock. <laughs> Woo! We were sighted, boys. Senatoba was so mad as the maddest they ever been in their life. We take peewee football real serious. In DeSoto County. But I want you to know God takes his church real serious. He takes your family real serious. Even seriouser than we take football. And, he, and you don't get a participation trophy in his league. You got to run like you want to win the prize. You see what I'm saying? So I wrote this. Maybe you're one of those hard-working linemen. Maybe you're locking arms with somebody, and you're a good worker, and y'all are clearing a path for the gospel to go through. Praise the Lord. Maybe you're that wide-eyed quarterback. Says, I don't think I can do it, but you're beginning to realize that you can be used by God. God can do it through you. Or maybe you're that superstar. That you deserted the team in their time of need. You left them. You were selfish. You thought, that's it for me. But you called the coach back up on the hotline and said, can I be back on the team? And God said, come on, boy. I'm going to give you another shot here in the fourth quarter. Right when we need you the most. And you're scoring touchdowns for Jesus. Praise the Lord. You humbled yourself and became a team player after all. Some of you just want to be the referee. You just want to judge whether everybody else is doing right or wrong. Well, you need to get in the huddle like them referees did and come out with another decision. And then some of you just want to sit in the grandstands and watch all the festivities. When there's an outreach, you just tell me how it went. I'll cheer you on, but no, no, no. 
You need to get out on the field. There's work to be done. There's a price to be paid for being on the team. Anybody can just watch. But you are called to participate, to be a we, a team member. Wherever you see yourself, you can know this, that God has a playbook. And he's calling the play that's going to get the Passion Church across that line. We ain't been here this long for nothing. We ain't fought this hard for nothing. We ain't practiced this long for nothing. We are on our way to victory. You might as well go on and say amen. Because God's got the right play for the right time. Maybe somebody got exhausted and couldn't make it to the finish line by themselves. But somebody else picked up the ball and ran with it. Scored the touchdown. Wherever you see yourself, you're important on this team. So as we break this huddle today, let's break it as a we. Let's break it as a we because we are going to do incredible things in 2017. Not because I say it, because it's so. It's prophesied. It's ordained of God that this will be an intentional year. This will be a year that we are going to do the things we've always longed to do. We're in the end times. we got to do it now. We can't hold back. We can't wait. What are we waiting for? The fields are white to harvest. Ephesians 2.20 says, together we are his house. for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.